Welcome to Power Up, a podcast show hosted by Maurizio Di Paolo Emilio that brings life to some of the stories on Power Electronics technologies and products featured on PowerElectronicsNews.com and through other as Pencore Media publications. In this show, you'll hear both engineers and executives discuss news, challenges, and opportunities for power electronics in markets such as automotive, industrial, and consumer. Here is your host, Editor-in-Chief of PowerElectronicsNews.com and EEWeb.com, Maurizio Di Paolo Emilio. Hello everyone and welcome to this new episode of Power Up. In this podcast, we will talk about silicon carbide technology for the future of energy with Victor Veliaidis. As a wide band gap semiconductor, silicon carbide provides a larger band gap energy than silicon. The benefits of using silicon carbide technology include smaller circuits and reducing overall power consumption. This stems from the fact that silicon carbide MOSFET can be operated at a much higher switching frequency, reducing the size of many of the circuit elements needed in the inverter. Today, there is a strong demand for silicon carbide power devices for energy applications. Since Tesla adopted the technology for their main inverter, all electric vehicle manufacturers are moving towards the use of silicon carbide power modules. In aerospace, the key motivation for the adoption of silicon carbide is the weight saving that the technology offers thanks to reduced cooling requirements because of lower losses and better thermal characteristics. We will talk about silicon carbide for several energy applications with Victor Veliadis. Victor is Executive Director and CTO of Power America, which is an USA Department of Energy Wideband Gap Power Electronics Manufacturing Institute. Victor is an IEEE Fellow and Distinguished Lecturer and an ECE Professor at North Carolina State University. He has many USA patents, six book chapters, and over 120 peer-reviewed technical publications. But it's time to introduce Victor and discover more about silicon carbide. Hi, Victor. How are you? Uh, very good, thank you. Uh, thanks for inviting me to this podcast. Well, thanks a lot for, for coming here. Thanks. Uh, uh, so it would be a pleasure to talk with you about uh, silicon uh, carbide. Thanks for the opportunity to have you in this uh, podcast. Absolutely. My pleasure. So, Today the topic uh, is uh, silicon carbide, silicon carbide for, for the future of energy. But uh, before going into details, uh, before talking about that, uh, I would like to ask you if you can introduce yourself, what do you do, what's your job, and then we can, I can ask you some questions for you. Absolutely. Uh, my name is uh, Victor Veliaris, and I'm the Executive Director and CTO of Power America. Uh, Power America is a United States Department of Energy Manufacturing Institute, and our goal is to develop technology uh, and fill gaps in, uh, in knowledge uh, in order to uh, promote mass commercialization of silicon carbide and GAN power electronics. And as a consortium, we have 62 members from all the areas, from industry to universities, from small companies to large companies, and our members span uh, all of the uh, silicon carbide and GAN supply chain, and together with our members, we run common projects 
and develop new technologies. So Silicon Garbide is uh, influencing several markets. So he's influencing the entire electric vehicle industry and uh, will be at the heart of uh, electronics along with other wideband gap materials such as, as you know, gallium nitride or GAN. So we publish a book about uh, gallium nitride and as you know, we are working on another book about uh, silicon garbide. Victor is, uh, is working on it and will send us uh, several contributions. Se- September, October, this book will be, will be ready. Stay tuned. Uh, you wrote several articles. In uh, your article for IEEE, Accelerating Commercialization of uh, Silicon Carbide Power Electronics, you highlighted the adoption of uh, silicon carbide in uh, several industries with several programs. My question is, uh, in which direction are we going with the silicon carbide technology and where should we improve for a complete adoption of this uh, technology in the market? So, as you, as you correctly mentioned, uh, silicon carbide is a competitor to silicon and GAN in uh, power electronics applications. Uh, silicon is very competitive, uh, you know, up to 600 volts. It's reliable. It's uh, cheap. It's rugged. It's got a yep. good uh, uh, performance. Uh, GAN is also a very good competitor. The lateral GAN, it goes uh, from on 100 to about uh, 600, 700 volts. And at the higher voltages, silicon carbide is very competitive. So really, you know, what type of uh, device and material you're going to use for your application uh, depends on the application specifics, right? What type of voltage, current, the type of frequency you want to operate at, what efficiency you're looking for, and very importantly, you know, your system cost considerations. So all of these are taking into account, but very broadly speaking, uh, silicon carbide is very competitive uh, beyond 900 volts in this high voltage area and all three of them, silicon, silicon carbide, and GAN, uh, are basically competing for the very lucrative 650-volt market, where a lot of the automotive applications are. Um, as you did mention, the major application for silicon carbide and where it's heading right now and where all the development is taking place is for automotive, for the traction inverter, DC-DC converter, onboard charger, fast charger. These are very, very large applications, uh, given the goal of uh, having clean energy and uh, electrifications that uh, a lot of governments are promoting. So that's the killer application for silicon carbide. You know, it's already been inserted. ST Microelectronics um, has basically inserted its MOSFET design in Teslas, and the market is growing. So there's a very bright future. Uh, The mass application where money can be made and further growth can happen is in the electrical vehicle. And now, as far as the barriers to adoption, what is it that we need to do to improve? Uh, the device cost for silicon carbide is still relatively uh, large, and that's turning a lot of people off. Uh, reliability has, rel- has been established to a great extent. There's a lot of data out there, obviously not as much as silicon, which is, you know, uh, around for decades. Uh, the raggedness of silicon carbide, you know, the short circuit time, uh, that needs some improvement to get to the silicon level, and work is being done in that direction. And last but not least is workforce training. This is, um, you know, silicon carbide as well as GAN. There are new technologies, and people coming from the silicon world uh, need training in order to apply them and fully exploit the benefits that they bring. So, 
taking a step a step back, uh, let's focus on uh, the main attributes of uh, Silicon Garbai that have led to over 25 years of many investments in this uh, technology. What are these? Uh, what are the main attributes of Silicon so, Garbai? So, as with any new technology, there has to be a compelling case for it in order for the investments to be made. Okay, in the case of Silicon Carbide, of course, the material properties, the large energy gap, the the large critical electric field, and the large thermal conductivity are the main advantages that Silicon Carbide brings. And what those do is they, la- they allow you to operate at high frequencies, which reduces the, the, the size of the device, reduces the passive components, and in the end, by using silicon carbide devices, you're able to work more efficiently, so higher efficiency. Uh, the fact that you have smaller devices and the fact that you operate at high frequency means you're reducing the passive components, so then your system becomes smaller in volume and lighter in weight. And, of course, the fact that silicon carbide, because of its large band gap, will allow you to operate at higher temperatures, uh, that means you can reduce the cooling requirements, the heat sink, and so on and so forth. So those are significant advantages that have led to investment uh, over the years, over, uh, you know, more intensely over the last 25 years. And today we're at a place where silicon carbide devices are products. They're being inserted in systems and people are reaping the rewards of the, of the higher efficiency uh, that silicon carbide brings. So material defects must be minimized for uh, reliability and uh, high efficiency to make silicon carbide devices cost competitive. Uh, I would like to ask you, what are the remaining silicon carbide defects issues and how do they affect reliability and performance? Yes, so um, material defects is you know something that you will always have when you start developing a new material, when you start making the, the, the substrates, when you do the epitaxy. So for many, many years, one of the biggest problems with silicon carbide were micropipes, which are basically killer defects and they reduce the yields. Of course, anything that reduces the yield increases the cost. So killer defects reduce the yield, increase the cost. Um, micropipes have pretty much been eliminated today and all the major defects have been worked out. The only remaining defect today Uh, are basal plane dislocations. And uh, basal plane dislocations will degrade the performance. They will not kill the device, but they will degrade the performance and they're undesirable. Uh, Basal plane dislocations, there are ways to minimize their inclusion in the device uh, when you do the epitaxy. And as we have found out over the last uh, couple of years when the silicon carbide material was cleaned up a little more, um, basal plane dislocations can also be generated during processes. So you can have a nice clean wafer and as you do the implantation, primarily the implantation, the heated implantation steps, uh, you can uh, introduce basal plane dislocations. So the effort today is to eliminate uh, basal plane dislocations and that will allow silicon carbide to be made cost effective and it will be obviously more reliable mm-hmm. and more rugged. And that's, that's the last Uh, remaining defects. Great. So commercially available silicon carbide devices can be more or less three times more expensive than their silicon counterparts. Uh, So uh, for that, what are the main reasons for uh, for this and how it is affecting volume adoption? Okay, so silicon carbide is a very 
hard material, right? So in order to make a substrate for silicon carbide, you have to go to very high temperatures, um, you know, 2,500 degrees. Uh, you must use a large seed. You don't have the necking in the silicon technique that helps eliminate defects. So the bottom line is today about anywhere from 55 to 70% of the silicon carbide device cost goes back to the substrate, to the substrate and epitaxy. Yep. So that's a very significant thing when you're comparing, on, when you're trying to compete with silicon uh, that has large wafers with, uh, you know, virtually no defects, very planar. Um, so the cost of the, uh, of the, you know, substrate itself is a very big issue. Now, how do you get around that? Um, obviously, you can come up with uh, different techniques to make the substrate, and there are several people who are working outside the box, so to speak, to come up with ways to reduce the cost, to, to, to synthesize silicon carbide substrates at a much lower cost. Um, you know, the other things are, of course, the manufacturing volume, uh, getting from uh, going from uh, six inch to eight inch, which will allow you to get more devices per wafer, uh, and technological innovations can help, re- help reduce uh, device cost. But the one thing we've got to keep in mind is that you don't buy devices for the sake of buying devices. You're buying devices to insert them into a system. And the fact that with silicon carbide, you can operate at much higher frequency, uh, you have uh, lower cooling uh, requirements, as we talked about before, even though you pay three times more, roughly, for the cost of the silicon carbide device, in many applications, the overall system cost, because of the simplifications of the passive components, is actually lower than silicon. And one of those uh, applications is PV inverters for residential. Uh, again, three times more expensive, the, 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 the cost of the device, but by the time you put the system together, uh, the system will cost lower, and it's primarily due to the fact that by using silicon carbide, you can operate at higher frequencies and reduce the size of the passive components. So I think that, you know, we need to work in the direction of, uh, you know, increasing manufacturing volume, increasing the size of the wafer to reduce cost, and, uh, you know, hopefully comes with some innovations in the way we make the substrate to drop that cost. But it should be stressed that we're always looking at the system level and today at the system level in many applications, including PV and automotive, the silicon carbide uh, system is lowering cost. And I want to point out that this is before we take into consideration the energy savings that silicon carbide will bring over its 20 or 25 year lifetime. So there is, there is work to be done, but we're already in a very good competitive place. So let's stay on uh, silicon carbide uh, manufacturing and silicon before going into uh, details about design aspects. So how is uh, silicon carbide fabrication different from that of silicon? And uh, what are the, the main, the prevailing silicon carbide fab models? Uh, how cost effective is silicon carbide manufacturing? Okay, so uh, if you want to be successful with a new uh, material, you need to be able to fabricate in existing foundries. And, of course, uh, there's a wide, uh, very large infrastructure of silicon production. So, as with any other uh, material, you basically take whatever is available from silicon that will work for you. So, you take all the mature processes that carry over from silicon to silicon carbide, and then you focus 
on developing the specific processes that are unique to silicon carbide. So there is um, a few of them, uh, you know, the edge has to be a dry edge, the material is hard, so you need to come up with new masking materials, it takes a longer time. Uh, one of the biggest ones, of course, is uh, doping. You cannot use diffusion do doping, so you have to do implantation. And not only you have to do implantation, but it has to be at high temperature because of the high energy of the ion implantation bombardment, uh, you can destroy the crystallinity of the, of the wafer. So you need to do heated implantation to keep the wafer in good shape along the way. And once you're done with implantation, you need to do a 1600 to 1800 degree Celsius anneal. So these are kind of new processes. Other areas are, are of course, the omicontact formation. As with any wide bang up material, uh, if you put metal down, you're going to get a shot key, right, because of the wide band gap. So mm -hmm. you have to have a technique to form an ohmic contact. And, of course, uh, another big one is the, the gate oxide, the interface between the silicon carbide and the oxide, because MOSFETs, of course, are the majority of the uh, silicon carbide devices uh, being used. Uh, improvements in gate oxide will go a long way. Now, having said that, it takes about maybe 10 to 15 million U.S. dollars uh, in order to buy the equipment and capability to process silicon carbide in a silicon foundry. And what is very fortunate is because silicon carbide doesn't require the latest and greatest uh, node technology, you can actually fabricate silicon carbide in uh, depreciated fabs that are 20, 30 years old with, with older equipment, and you can certainly make those devices, and that helps you with the economy. So as far as the models are concerned, in silicon carbide, at this point, we've duplicated all the uh, fab infrastructure models you find in silicon. And I will stress that there are many IDMs uh, that exclusively make uh, silicon carbide uh, devices, as well as uh, foundries, pure play, open foundries, where fabless designers of silicon carbide devices can go and make their devices. Um, and one particularly attractive model is to, to basically fabricate silicon carbide along the silicon line. So you go to silicon foundry, you introduce silicon carbide, and if you do that right, then you can approach silicon carbide fabrication at the economy volume of, uh, of uh, scale of silicon. So uh, I think the, the, the silicon carbide fab infrastructure is maturing, and it's already producing devices uh, at lower cost, and as we go... As we will move soon, I think within this year, from 6-inch to 8-inch wafers, uh, the cost will drop even further. So, electric vehicles, solar um, energy, so we have a lot of applications, as, uh, as you mentioned. New designs in, uh, in all-power conversion airs, including uh, high-power SCDC and DCDC converters, are increasing using uh, silicon carbide devices. Silicon carbide technology cannot be exploited without the availability of suitable modules. What is the status of silicon carbide modules and what needs to be improved? Okay, so, so just like you cannot take a silicon MOSFET out and just simply drop in a silicon carbide one, you will not be able to fully exploit the benefits of silicon carbide. Uh, the module itself of silicon is not sufficient. One, uh, you know, one um, uh, example that people uh, mention is, you know, if you put a silicon carbide device in a silicon module, it's like putting a Ferrari engine in a small Fiat, right? You're not going to see 
the benefits. So what do we need from silicon carbide modules? Number one, high voltage, right? Silicon carbide uh, devices have been demonstrated at 3.3 kV, 6.5 kV, 10 kV. So the high voltage isolation uh, needs to be there. Uh, the other thing is cooling, right? We, we, um, silicon carbide has a, has a very high, excellent thermal conductivity. But if you don't have a module that can dissipate the heat at that rate, yep. then your module becomes a bottleneck. Okay. So then you're not running silicon carbide as hard as you can. You're missing out on performance. So double sided cooling is an area of improvement. The, the wire bonds, the way you do the design for the wire bonds because of the fast switching, uh, you know, you need to basically have very low inductance. So maybe you should use planar interconnects or other technologies to minimize inductance. And then, you know, all the areas like the heatsink, the base plates, the encapsulation materials, and all the thermal interfaces you, you have in the, in the silicon carbide, uh, modules need to be improved in order to allow silicon carbide to exploit its full potential, to allow silicon carbide to operate at its best performance. So um, there are not many houses around the world uh, that produce modules for uh, silicon carbide, and the need for those is well understood, and we're seeing a lot of uh, expansion and development in that area. So I think, um, you know, the silicon carbide module, the technology is, um, you know, is getting better, and uh, it's going to keep up with the, you know, with the silicon carbide devices, allow them to perform well. Electric vehicles is one of the, the main application. Uh, the electric vehicles uh, revolution is speeding up uh, the trend towards a more sustainable future. So more sustainable future is a, a big topic. We need to talk uh, a lot. The performance keys in the EV design are uh, the battery and the propulsion systems, all the powertrain system. The design uh, parameters involve uh, power level, conversion efficiency, or operating temperature in the vehicle powertrain system, thermal energy dissipation capacity, and system package. Which companies are investing in silicon uh, carbide? You mentioned uh, Tesla, for example. And where is visible a strong use of silicon carbide in electric vehicle? The gain in efficiency, I think from silicon uh, carbide in these systems can be relevant to increase uh, driving ranges. Yes, so that is that is absolutely right. The electrical vehicles are the big killer application that has led to silicon carbide, um, you know, volume production, which we really need volume production to reduce costs. Now, with respect to electric vehicles, uh, pretty much every major vehicle manufacturers manufacturer has announced plans and will release electric vehicle models. And a lot of them have provided uh, a time frame for that. I I think Jaguar in in Britain uh, said that by 2025, all their models will be electric. There are other uh, states and countries uh, that basically had said that beyond 2035, uh, sale of uh, internal combustion engine cars will stop. Okay, so they will not be allowed to sell those. So there is a, a very large investment uh, by, you know, uh, automotive manufacturers on electric vehicles. And because of the size of that market, even if a modest portion of that goes to silicon carbide, it's going to be a big driver uh, for the silicon carbide, uh, you know, companies in the silicon carbide world. Now, 
the advantage of silicon carbide, and, and this is why Tesla was the first company to very early on insert it into its uh, traction inverters, is mm-hmm. if you put silicon carbide, you have higher efficiency. And one of the big problems with electric vehicles is range anxiety. And anything that you can do to ease that range of anxiety, anything that you can do to increase the range of the vehicle uh, with the same size of batteries without increasing the battery is a very big advantage. So the big advantage is is the range, and you can look at it, look at it you know, two ways. For the same battery, uh, you get more range, or if you want a specific range, it will take uh, fewer batteries uh, to enable that. And at this yeah. point, the battery cost is a pretty big component of the total uh, electric vehicle costs. So anything that can help you reduce the size of the batteries without compromising the range is a big win. And that's why silicon carbide has been adopted in the, um, you know, in the EV market by initially by Tesla. And then a number of other companies are, I would say, catching up or already have uh, started to insert uh, silicon carbide in their vehicles as well. Great. So in addition to electric vehicle, electric vehicle like applications, uh, we have other in terms of uh, energy. So uh, with a large number of countries racing to build reliable and long-term sustainable alternatives to curb fossil fuel emissions, wind energy and solar uh, photovoltaic installations have uh, recorded unparalleled growth over the past uh, decade. And in this case, silicon carbide is uh, involved uh, to guarantee a good efficiency. What are your thoughts about that? Can silicon carbide be a good boost for the future of renewable energy? So, absolutely. Uh, if you were to go back four years ago and look at projections of, uh, of silicon carbide revenue, the, the major application, the largest application, uh, was PV, photovoltaic. Okay? Now, as we moved on in electric vehicles, uh, started becoming uh, more in- increasingly important because of the you know of the climate issue that we're facing. Um, you know, electric vehicles became the big applications for application for silicon carbide. So for the residential photovoltaic, which is at the lower voltages, the devices are commercially available. They're similar to those used in automotive. Uh, it's a large market, but of course it pales compared to the size of the automotive market. But the real big breakthrough. Uh, that silicon carbide can bring is in the high voltage area where you have uh, a high voltage DC uh, transmission, the interface, where you have the flexible AC transmission, uh, microgrids, uh, of course, uh, solar mm-hmm. uh, yep. tied to the grid. So you want to go from uh, solar parks directly to the, let's say, the 13.8 kV uh, grid network in the United States, uh, wind, and of course, energy storage. So although today uh, most manufacturers are focusing on the large volume EV market, that's where they're paying attention because that's where there's a lot of money to be made and a lot of design wins to be had. Um, You know, the high voltage devices, the 6.5 kV, 10 kV, the kind of, you know, the R&D in that area has taken a backseat, right? Because all the teams in companies, you know, are focusing on the EV market. But uh, having said that, you know, 6.5, 10 kV, and even 15 kV MOSFET and IGBTs have been demonstrated. The technology is there. Um, the system simplifications that they bring and the savings that they bring compare to using uh, silicon to do those high voltages are very clear to everybody. And uh, all these grid-tied applications will benefit 
from silicon carbide, and I think that will be the the next big volume uh, silicon carbide push and application, those grid-related applications. So absolutely, silicon carbide yeah. has a role to play in renewable energy. Great. So I have just uh, the last one. We are we are in conclusion with this uh, great podcast. So in several in several of your articles, you stress the role of uh, education in in silicon carbide mass commercializations. Can you elaborate a little bit about that? Yes. So silicon carbide is a relatively new technology, and as I mentioned before, you cannot take a circuit and simply pull out the silicon part and put in the silicon carbide. You will not see much improvement if you do that. So because of the higher frequency of operation, the, the higher temperature, because of the specifics of silicon carbide technology, you need a trained workforce in order to put it into systems and reap the rewards. If people are not familiar with silicon carbide, then they will be apprehensive in its use. The easiest thing to do is do nothing. Continue doing what you're already doing you know it works, and maybe you don't have the you know the efficiency and the other benefits, uh, but you're comfortable doing that. So I think that a big aspect of getting silicon carbide or any new technology for that matter uh, to move forward and become mainstream is a trained workforce, and that is already being addressed. Most uh, uh, universities um, that have power electronic programs have a strong program in uh, silicon carbide and GAN, you know, wide band gap technology. Uh, the devices, the the modules, uh, the circuit applications, the system insertion. So that's that's key. Um, so the universities are training the next generation of silicon carbide uh, power electronic technologists that will push the technology forward. And at the same time, in a lot of the companies, uh, there are programs to train the workforce so those technologies can be introduced in um, in their manufacturing lines. Uh, but yes, uh, as with any new Uh, technology, educating the workforce and having a well-trained workforce is key to success. Wonderful. So, we are in conclusion. Thanks a lot, Victor. It's been a pleasure to talk with you in this uh, podcast. Thank you. Absolutely. Thank you so much for inviting me. It's been a pleasure. Thank you, Victor. Thank you for this great podcast. The major application for silicon carbide is taking place for automotive in electric vehicles in particular, for the traction inverter, the CDC converter, onboard charger. As Victor said, these are very large applications, given the goal of having clean energy and electrification that a lot of governments are promoting. Silicon carbide is a very hard material. In order to make the substrate for silicon carbide, you have to go to very high temperatures, more of 2000 degrees. The cost of the substrate itself is a very big issue. The electrical vehicles are the big application that has led to silicon carbide volume uh, production, which really need volume production to reduce cost, as Victor said. Now every major vehicle manufacturer will release electric vehicle models, not only electric vehicles, but also solar applications for silicon carbide. So silicon carbide has a role to play in renewable energy. Last but not least, as Victor said, As with any new technology, educating the workforce and having a well-trained workforce is key to success. Thank you everyone. See you next episode.